Hello and welcome to Digital Surfing with Darren Smith, the podcast that dives into digital leaders' success and failures as they ride the wave of a career in digital business. Introducing our host, Darren Smith. Hi, I'm your host, Darren Smith, and every episode I'll be chatting to a special interviewee on what they've learned on their digital journey. Digital transformation and maturity is key to surviving in business today, and many people have a host of stories to tell about the successes and failures of digital projects they've been involved with. Let's go digital surfing. This week on Digital Surfing, we're speaking to Charles McKay, the CEO and founder of Sinks out in Australia. Charles has worked as a technical consultant for over 10 years before setting up Sinks seven years ago. In this episode, we really focus on vector alignment and how this really plays an important role in digital success. I want to get started with talking about your nickname. I mean, like, besides the fact that every Australian I've ever met has a nickname, how, how did you end up with the nickname Chuck? It's, um, it's, a, it's a bit of a funny one. So I grew up in a small country town and there was 13 boys, I think, in my class. And anyway, when you go from primary school to high school, I went to the high school and there happened to be three Charleses in that 13 boys. So... What <laughs> one was Charlie, one was Chaz, and I just I was always Charles, um, and I stood pretty hard at that. Anyway, when I got to high school, the PE teacher at school, you know, Charles was just too long, and it was too hard for him to say. So I very quickly became Chuck, and then um, Chuck sort of stuck, and my my dad hated it, but that was probably even better for me because I'm like, all right, that's good. And then we, with our farm, we had a jackaroo and he just ran with that at the same point. And then when I went to boarding school, I was kind of hoping that I would lose it because I'm like, I like my name. Um, And I was a pretty good runner back at school. Anyway, I was in the local paper that one of my mates or guys from boarding school happened to see the paper and it had, you know, Chuck wins this race. And then that was it. So it has just stuck. (laughs) <laughs> uh, classic so talking about like that small country town and then kind of uh, mentioning your dad there as well so you grew up on a farm and uh, in prepping for this interview today you spoke about about your to-do list and the way you spoke about it I, like I, I couldn't work out are you a fan of a to-do list or do you hate a to-do list well I know how important they are but I used to hate it because every morning I'd get up and I'd you know Go, go to the breakfast table and I would have my breakfast and there would be a list of things to do. And it would generally be feed the sheep, you know, take the tractor, fill it with oats, grab the ute, put hay on it, go and feed the sheep. And when you're talking middle of winter in, you know, Southwest Victoria and in, in Australia where I grew up, um, you know, it might say it's double digits on the thermometer, but when you put a southeasterly freezing wind and torrential rain in the plate, it's not much fun. So a to-do list that should take you two to three hours can then take you the whole day. So that's why I probably hate the to-do list because dad had one for me every single morning. But I just saw how important the to-do list is. And now, do you still hate the to-do list or has it grown on you? It's interesting. It's probably evolved over the years and then I've hated it again and and loved it. Um, I do think you need the longer... You know, obviously some goals or something that you're working towards, 
but whether that's a to-do list on a daily basis or when you check in on those things. But I do think in the, you know, your current role and work you're doing, it's really important to obviously have the projects you're working on, but then just a daily, okay, I need to follow these things up. So that's not so much going to be task management. It's just, you know, making sure you follow up things. So um, mm. I've done the digital versions. I've done the paper book versions. You know, my, my dad used to literally carry, so they were like, I don't know, they'd fit in your top pocket. And because he was a, a farmer, all the agents used to give out, you know, books that the farmer would have in their top pocket and they all had it and dad had one. So I, he'd rip out, he'd, you know, write my to-do list, rip it out and put it on, you know, my placemat for breakfast. <laughs> yeah, I hate a to-do list as well. Like my, my wife loves the to-do list and uh, and I'm a, I've got a bit of an obsessive compulsive kind of streak in me and I just want to get those things marked off um Same. and so she just puts it on the fridge just puts it on the fridge and i i notice it and i'm like ah i need to get these things done yeah I, i'm the same when it gets to a point where you've got timelines are getting you know really compressed or a weekend where you're like right i've got a whole heap of time what do i really want to do then obviously i'll break that down so it's it, they're really handy when your time gets really compressed mm-hmm. So we're working towards something. I mean, like the other thing that you're a massive fan of is vector alignment, which, you know, that could mean a million things. So what does vector alignment mean for you? So, you know, obviously we both are in this HubSpot ecosystem and I was lucky enough to go to Inbound, I think it was 2017, and listen to Darmesh's keynote. And he talked about vectors and vector alignment in his keynote when he got to, you know, meet Elon Musk. And his comment to Elon was how do you go towards solving such global problems and Elon's very basic answer was vector alignment so then Damesh started thinking about that and you know the way I try and give a simple analogy of it if you're in a rowing boat so a rowing boat's a really good example of this because if you've got one person not pulling their weight they'll actually get thrown out of the boat (laughs) so you know, there's, there's no gray area to it. If you're not pulling your weight, you're just going to get thrown out of the boat. So when you've got vector alignment, everyone in that boat is rowing in the one direction and they're all putting the, this, the same amount of effort to go in that one direction. So, you know, when I start to think about that, it's business owner knows exactly what they want, exactly where they're going, kid at school doing a single project by themselves, exactly where they're going, exactly what to do. But as soon as you start bringing multiple people, states, <laughs> divisions, countries into it, you generally get some sort of misalignment and that's where everything just slows down. So that's that's my analogy of, you know, vector alignment. Do you think this uh, vector alignment thing kind of ties in together with the to-do list thing? Because I can only imagine like your dad putting down, go and feed the sheep. And he had a vision of how you need to feed those sheep. And with a to-do list, without that kind of proper alignment of how you should feed them or what you should feed them, you could end up, uh, you know, killing, killing the sheep. So it doesn't go back all the way to then, like your vector alignment and to-do lists. <laughs> yeah, it potentially could. And obviously, the other part of it is, you know, call it the right you know, the right person in the right seat or get on the bus. Because if you don't know what to feed the sheep and you do feed the sheep the wrong thing or they're going to die. So there's a part of that vector alignment, I think, which is coming comes into it. You've got to be able to do the right component. 
but that'll come out too. So if there's not vector alignment through, you know, I suppose digitally, the way I look at that is the people, the platform, the process, something's going to break and something's going to misalign. And when you talk misalignment in a, an engine, a flywheel or anything that has high velocity, it's going to fly apart. Before we go and like I speak about vector alignment and, and digital in particular, because obviously like yeah. you know, we can talk analogies about farms and so on, but like we want to go into, yeah. into kind of di- digital. Um, I, I suppose any project or any kind of piece of work, a, a big part of the vector alignment is around making sure that everybody in that boat knows what is that vision? What direction are they going? Mm-hmm. Now, like... I'm interested in asking you this in particular because when I normally ask somebody, okay, like, you know, you're adopting a new CRM or you're rolling out a major program, there's huge change management. How do you get everybody on the bus or everybody in the boat going in the same direction? The standard onside get is communication. Um, you know, we, you need to over-communicate. You need to communicate a huge amount. And so everybody knows exactly what's going on. Now, the reason why I'm quite interested in asking you is because the other interesting mm. fact about yourself is you are dyslexic. Yeah. So written communication, you know, doesn't just come naturally. So it's all good and well known you need vector alignment, but how do you go about communicating and getting everybody knowing what those vectors are? Yeah, it's for me personally, it's probably been the biggest challenge, but then also the, on the flip side, the biggest opportunity of my career because I do look at things a bit differently to uh, other people as such. You know, when I would talk about it, it's hard to communicate, I believe, to the masses at this sort of level of what we do. So um, a farm is a small business. It's very rare that they are. So if you think of a farming ecosystem, you know, it starts with the soil. You obviously need the rain at the right time. You need the right crop. You need the right fertiliser, potentially chemicals in it, or you do go down a more of a natural regen farming ecosystem environment. So the reality is if that ecosystem is broken, there is something in that sub subsystem is going to break and you're not going to be able to pull a crop and you're not going to be able to farm off it. So you think farming, you think industrial farming, there's a misalignment there without a doubt. So, you know, farms that have been around for multi-generation and cultures that have been around for thousands of years, they've got alignment. Where there's misalignment is probably where they're trying to extract too much and not put enough back in. So too much financial gain versus, you know, the actual, what what the land is there for. So I think when you start looking at, from my point of view, how to communicate that, it's hard to do it to the masses. So you need to focus on who those key people are to then focus on their department. So very much a train the trainer model because if you're trying to train and help everyone you just can't so that's the way i've generally approached it but thinking more micro rather than masses i mean it's not just a single okay right we we're rolling out a new customer portal tomorrow you know please be aware that you now need to do these things in a, in a different way um the trainer model needs to be multi-dimensional in terms of video content, audio content? Like how, how do you set up that trainer? What if the trainer is <laughs> dyslexic themselves? Like how do you get that to- out? Totally. Um, yeah. So I like, it's, it's really interesting because I have actually done train the trainer certification <laughs> and I had to then train people. And this is in a previous life. And 
that was the piece I took out of it though. Everyone doesn't learn in the same way. So you have to have some sort of IP to help facilitate where you can, depending on the resources you have at your fingertips. But at that point in my my era, because I was so like I couldn't write a manual as such. So I, I did, this is in, you know, 2006, did screen recordings and put them on YouTube and said, go and watch these videos. And obviously no one did it because no one was ready for that. So, you know, back in those days, it was very much write the manual and this is how it's done. So I, I do believe depending on what, you know, resources you have at your fingertips not everyone fits in the one you know fitting a square peg into a round hole you've got to think diversely and have a multi-pronged approach to it i think the other thing is 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 a long-term approach what i see a huge amount in digital projects that fail is once everything's been wireframed and the system developed or launched or whatever that kind of training period is half a day or maybe several half day sessions over a week. And then the project is considered launched. And generally you get kind of this adoption curve where everyone tries on the first day, they have some difficulties and maybe they get a bit bit of support because everybody's still excited about it. And the following week they get zero support and then adoption just dies entirely. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So you're almost like, how do you avoid that? Yeah. I'm a, you know, big believer of once it's launched, it starts in reality. So, you know, and this shows potentially the digital maturity of who you're working with because there's so many assumptions made in these early stages that you don't really know. You can make assumptions on it. You can trust your gut and believe the process and all that sort of stuff. But until you actually go live as such, you don't really have any real feedback. So, that's the way I, I try and do things is, you know, once it's launched is when it starts. And, you know, another part of it from the way we try and do things a little bit is, is throw users into it as well, because you'll have those people that are very theoretic, that love to read and know everything about it versus people that just want to do it and then to get the feedback. So we sort of try and cater for two, those two basic models of one that wants to know exactly how to do it versus someone that is happy to get their hands dirty and then we find that instead of me pushing training or us pushing training down your throat, we've been more ask you answer sort of scenario. And it just becomes a bit more engaging than just a slide deck of how to do things. Um, and that's just after so many years of people realistically not wanting to do it. <laughs> so how do you get their engagement? So one of the other things I noticed before you went into kind of the HubSpot ecosystem, you're an IT consultant. And when we were speaking before about, you know, what causes something to fail, a project to fail, I was quite amazed by the amount of times you listed IT as the reason for failure, like whether it is an IT mentality of I'm going to build it yourself or whether they want to get kind of something on their resume for having done this. And I find like even with this change management side of things, IT sometimes will not give the true cost of rolling out a project because you know there is a large amount of cost that goes into developing into architecting the solution but you need almost the equal amount that goes into change management and adoption now if they were to put that into the business case what are the chances of that getting adopted so yeah, I mean, don't comment exactly. on that what, what i'm first interested in is 
how did you go from being an IT consultant to like your top three things that you say list as failures is IT? It's the main reason is throughout, you know, my working career, most IT people hadn't done the job. So they hadn't really experienced what the customer was doing, hadn't really experienced what their staff was doing. So they'd come in and make a lot of these business assumptions. But if you sort of flip it, when the business challenges get flipped to the IT department to come up with solutions, and then do they really know how the business operates? It's I find that really interesting. So, you know, as it's evolved, especially in the last 10 years, IT departments have been ripped out, not put in. So they've tried to build these things that they can't get, can't have replaced. So as, especially as the SaaS world's evolved, tr- they want these legacy complex systems in place, not something that is much more user-friendly and especially not, you know, more customer-focused. So that's, you know, internet in persona as such, just really hard to deal with because do they have that abundance mindset? it is like you know i want my job to be removed but if i'm adding enough value i'll be able to do something else scenario or is it no i want the keys to the kingdom so they can't do anything and that's you know i've seen that so many times and it's interesting because when you use kind of vector alignment and you said you know the person not not rowing in the same direction will get kicked off and yet you don't see that kind of it getting kicked off all that often so they're almost like the department that doesn't follow the kind of methodology of vector alignment or why why is it yeah it's you know when i was doing that the reality is you have so much ip and so trust of the business as well so you know there's obviously finance which deals with your cash you know legal keeps you potentially out of jail as such or keeps you out of court and then it um, you know, is also a bit of a protection tool and something when you just don't know, especially when I was in that space, like it wasn't like it is today. Um, it was a lot harder to get things to work. So, you know, you had that huge level of trust. So trusted advisor, but when you look at a lot of the IT and it's, it's evolved, like I've been out of it for a fair while now, but there's still some really old legacy IT systems I come across. I'm like, how is that the case? Like it doesn't actually work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So talking about kind of some of the biggest digital projects that you've worked on, you speak about the concept of connecting the front office with the back office. What, what's that all about? So it's like reality is these vector alignment. So, you know, when you've got, Systems that are siloed and aren't integrated, that means you'll have cross-departmental friction. And at some point, different departments are going to want information. And reality is it's a report, spreadsheet shared, or it's something that has a high level of risk to it. So when I talk connecting to the front to the back office is obviously you've got your front office, maybe marketing, sales, even customer service to your production system as such. And the less friction you have between these departments and even finance too, the better. Um, The amount of noise that goes on between those departments and loss of production and loss of time and loss of efficiencies is, I believe, the biggest challenge most scaling businesses have. So can you give an example of like one of these projects that you've actually worked on where you've gone about connecting the front and back office? Yeah, so one example is a a system that generates quotes. 
and like hundreds of thousands of quotes a year and that marketing and sort of sales team to see the customer data it was daily if i think weekly exports into spreadsheets to then importing into email tool to then run webinars to then import into another sheet and you know you start thinking about all of these touch points let alone what the customer is doing on the quoting tool and they're doing repeat quotes weekly daily so many touch points to customer that none of it is connected and none of it's visualized so you've just got you don't really know what your customers are doing and it just becomes literally hundreds of hours a year of trying to work stuff out are these projects like being my assumption should i say is these projects are being driven by the front office who want vector alignment with the back office or is it the other way around or a little bit of both yeah, from my experience, it's driven from the front office. It's rare that the back office... The back office may sometimes want it, but they're more inclined to use a spreadsheet <laughs> um, mm. just because that's what they've all be- always been used to. But especially when you start working with more modern marketing departments, like they're, they're attuned to these modern technologies and often back offices are not. They're still mm. but much more legacy-driven. And I mean, like, going back to vector alignment... Is this project just going to fail immediately if one front office wants it, back office doesn't, or back office wants it, front office doesn't? Um, or just because this is so logical, it's just bound to succeed? From experience, you put it onto that roadmap and it may not be mission critical from, you know, launch it and then it's live scenario and then we're into the game. <laughs> but it needs to at some point connect because there's going to be error. So I've done it myself in my own business where you've had human input between systems and you know with data and there's there's error so you know i think i think i read a stat this is a couple of years ago but 85 percent of spreadsheets have got errors in them so mm. reality is if you're using that spreadsheet to drive change then it's going to be really hard you know at some point they will need to be connected it could be a roadmap platform thing is like, you know, it's not worth us investing that time to custom build it when we know that it is custom coming or it's coming organically down the line. And it's also that resource component. So another thing that I had learned, especially this is in the offshoring sort of things in the 2000s, a lot of those mundane tasks that reality should be put into a digital project were shipped offshore to cheaper labor and I don't agree with that. I believe that if you want to offshore work or offshore some really good hard projects, if that is a cost challenge that you have, rather than just, oh, this is a manual task we've got. Cool. Let's find someone at the cheapest possible labor we can because I don't want to do it. Um, yeah. So that's sort of the way I look at that. And from, I mean, like you've been rolling out these type of customer projects, linking front and back office, primarily using HubSpot. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, like generally we've wrapped our business around that HubSpot ecosystem. And, you know, from day one, it was about getting adoption into the business. And more generally more than always one department is where you will start and then move from there. There's too much reliance on an individual person for failure if it's just in one department because if that one marketing manager leaves, they will probably change tools. So when you start embedding that into the business better there's just a higher chance of it being adopted and then it gets where i get the the really good stuff coming is the 360 feedback so when you start getting feedback from 
other departments or other people using the system and they want it to, to be refined, you know you've got user adoption actually happening. And that's, you know, it's a really big component of it. So when you get bought into these kind of new projects, new prospects coming along, hearing what you do, what are those flags that you look out for that immediately you go, right, this is going to be a failure based on what this person has said or how they've behaved or what you've seen in their organization? Yeah, it can be a challenging one, that question, because, you know, I'm pretty optimistic and I'll give most people a go. The flags, though, would be why now? So like this has been around for a long time. Why has it now become a problem? So that that is definitely one. And the other one is if it's not a business decision, it's becoming a individual wants to do it. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, or is this bought into by the business or is this just you, something that you personally want to do? Now, don't be wrong, I want that person to be the champion and drive it because that's where we also get a lot of adoption. But if mm-hmm. it's just because someone you know, thinks it's going to be good for their resume to roll out, I'd be against it. Um, the, the flip side to that one is, though, is sometimes when you're going into a big business where you just know it's going to be really challenging is it's sort of rather than asking for permission, you beg for forgiveness. <laughs> so roll it out, deploy it, get a mountain of information going and then go, by the way, <laughs> If we rolled this out for you, we could do this for you. So we've done a fair bit of that too, where you just know it's too big and sometimes you've got to break it down into little little bite-sized chunks. I suppose this is where vector alignment comes in. I mean, like you talk about, is this somebody's individual goal or is this the business's goal? Do you have a process or methodology or something that you go about to try and tease that information out? We obviously have some business values that we try and align with. But one of them is, you know, our value alignment with them. And if they're trying to do things better, you know, I love the ROI discussion or the, you know, conversion discussion. Like reality is if they can come up with an answer of what success looks like, it's a pre- it means I've thought about it. But often too, you don't know what you don't know, yeah? So, you know, if you just want to increase one point of a conversion rate, it's probably not that going to be that hard to do. So maybe you just start there, test the waters with that client before you try and sell the whole kit and caboodle. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of that too. Time is money and wasting time is not worth sometimes our time as well. So the other thing that I wanted to talk about is one of your idols is Jason Fried, the founder of, of Basecamp. What is it about him that makes him that idol? It's really interesting. Like I've used Basecamp a few times previously, but... I listened to a, just a really engaging podcast he was on about the longevity of Basecamp. It's been around for a long time. They were really lo- reluctant at getting funding. I know eventually Bezos, as some form, <laughs> has invested in them. But he's also big on that ecosystem component that I talked about earlier. Um, so he's bought a, a block of land, I think, somewhere with about 100 acres and it had been farmed to the absolute bones and he's gone through a regen project and, you know, there was a certain number of birds that he'd seen, but they've now spotted hundreds of different species of birds. So just his long-term plan and, you know, building a tech company that is not about flipping it, um, I think it's quite nice, especially in the tech space where, you know, it is just seen to be build it and flip it. But reality is anything takes a long time to build. So 
I just, it was really nice to hear, especially in the tech space of someone that has that long-term plan and also his whole ecosystem thinking, I just resonated with it massively. One of the things that stood out for me listening to him speak is in line with that, he doesn't believe in setting hard goals, which kind of, you know, goes against kind of almost vector alignment because obviously you've got a vision, but a vision often has a time associated to it. Like I want to grow by this much or I want to get to add these features to my product. I find it very interesting that he goes against goals where everybody else says mm. you must hit smart goals. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yet, you know, it seems like Basecamp is quite aligned in terms of everybody knows what's going on from an employee point of view. Mm. I agree with that. But when you start thinking about what or what are those goals and one vector might be you can't do something for three years so you know it really depends on the business and what they're trying to do it'd be really interesting today to go to the graveyard of startups that were just too early um Mm. you know there's thousands of ideas that come out way too early and reality is the person that comes up with the idea is very rarely the one that executes on it anyway so Mm. you know i think that part of the vector alignment could be a component on when is the right time to do that work. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing, you know, listening to him is around, you have to end up setting these goals when you have shareholders because the, you know, investors, shareholders, you know, they, they, they almost make up these unrealistic goals because they want to get return on investment. Exactly. And I think you'll find that that is most finance led and so the reality is we live in a world that is finance still led. So when you do remove that a little bit, it changes the thinking. And that's where, you know, he's coming from total abundance. He doesn't really need to do anything that they tell him to do. Like he, he, he probably could get sacked, but he is total abundance mindset. So that probably comes with playing that long game as well. I mean, bringing it back to digital, I mean, have you ever had the opportunity to work with a client on a big project, big CRM rollout or, or, or something like that, where they haven't had any hard, smart goals? Or is, is that just, you know, crazy thinking? Um, no, 100%. Like the reality is a lot of the time for us, it comes up, we just don't have anywhere to put all of this information. <laughs> and rather than setting goals around data, when you don't know what the data is, how about you just get the data in place so that you can set some goals. Um, mm. We do that a lot. You know, I, I, I also came from a place that um, reporting for report's sake, and I'm not a big fan of that. I prefer to get things working, get efficiencies happening, and then look at reporting later. Because if you focus on one metric, let's say that is your guiding principle to success for that project, but what are all the other opportunities that you're missing um, through that period? Now, don't get me wrong, if that is the key focus, you'll put iron lens on that, but you would want to be looking at other things that you should be picking up through the process as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, I really like the kind of Richard Branson thinking of screw it, let's do it. Like, you know, implementing something is better than kind of agonizing over hypotheses and goals and objectives and return on investment than you know, rather implement something than nothing because you've given all that kind of mind space to planning. 100% I agree on that and also 
you know, that's where sort of that analogy of beg for forgiveness rather than permission comes in is just mm. let's just get something done so that you've got something to present because <laughs> you're not going to lose anything by doing it. It's not going to be a huge investment to do. Um, but it, especially those hypotheses because they become then facts and then it's like, well, you didn't really test it anyway. Like I'm a big fan of what you've talked about. What, what experiments are you willing to do? Um, and everyone's looking for this silver bullet, which in reality doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, you're 100%, 100% right. I think anybody that's looking to the future is making a very educated guess on what might happen. Yeah. And you know, I see so many digital projects, so many businesses, so many methodologies, processes, all of this, all these things fail because there is this defined end of the project. And it's, it's not a case of like, right, this is when we launch an MVP or phase one, and then we need to invest a huge amount more based afterwards once we've found out more. Mm. Um, mm. Let us run experiments. What about all the change management adoption? You know, that all just seems to get left out. Like I just go back to the gym. You know, reality is if you've got a dietary problem or a weight loss or a weight issue, you can't just go in with it with a six-week program. You've got to have a transfer. Like you've got to change what you're doing. You've got to look at your diet. You've got to look at your exercise. You've got to look at your sleep. You've got to look at your mind, your mindfulness. You can't just go, I'm going to run a six-week challenge and I'll be right. And it's the same with any business in reality. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You've got to have what else do we need to do. And then those 2% or half a percent every week over 12 months become a, is a huge change. And I... I think that's where, you know, you see it all the time. Oh, we increased conversion rate by 17,000%. It's like, well, yeah, I could make that report too, but it's not going to actually do, do anything for you. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, okay, so, you know, one last thing, uh, a tip that you would give um, people embarking on a digital, a big digital transformation or a big uh, kind of uh, connecting front office to, to back office. What is that one single tip that you would give people embarking on that? It would be test it with or do it with a small finite group of people that are really like vector aligned before mm. you actually try and roll it out to the whole organization. So it depends on the size of the business, obviously. But if you also haven't ever done it, get someone to work with you that has and then partner with the right people to help that are specialists in that field to do it. Because, you know, if you embark on engaging a whole heap of external parties and you've never done that yourself, you've got to be really vulnerable and open to trust the process. Otherwise, it becomes really hard for that, you know, the people that are working with you. So that'd be a, a big one. If you've done it before, great. You'll you'll understand the value of partners. But if you haven't, get someone in there in your team that really can drive it and knows what's required so that you can then get what you're trying to do. Yeah, yeah really good advice. I think in today's uh, episode of Digital Surfing, I think there's been uh, amazing kind of learnings. Um, like I think I actually would recommend re-listening to this episode and uh, all those <laughs> things that you've spoken about around connecting the back office and front office, what's worked, the vector alignment, uh, the issues that you've experienced with IT, all really, really great things that we've spoken about today. So yeah, I think thanks so much for joining us today on Digital Surfing. It was really, really great uh, to uh, learn a little bit more about your journey. 
No worries, Darren. It's, I think it's just like surfing. Like if you didn't go out and do it every day, you would never actually surf. So it just that's obviously the reason you've called the podcast Digital Surfing. It's all about repetition and learning over time. Yeah, and having fun along the way. I mean, uh, you don't come to the end of the journey. Once you've kind of managed to do that floater for the first time, you know, yeah, that's it. Your, ex- your expectations just get higher and higher and higher of yourself. So yeah, yeah very, very good uh, point to kind of end, end, end off today on. Awesome. Thanks, Darren. Appreciate having me on. Yeah, thank you so much. Cheers. Cheers.